0: Let me pray as we prepare to hear God's word. Lord, thank you that your word is alive. Thank you, Lord, that it's relevant. Lord, it has this eternal aspect, Lord, although many of these words were written thousands of years ago. Lord, your word continues and it speaks into today, into our lives, into our situations and into our circumstances. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to receive what word would say to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start with a warning. I would like to show you a picture of a naked man. It's not in the textbook of how you should start most sermons, but it's got your attention, right? I want to show you a picture of a naked man. And if you are, I mean, it's not the sort that some people receive in their Instagram DMs. It's not that sort of thing, but... If you are slightly, you know, easily offended, you might want to put your hands in front of your eyes. I don't know, right? But this is a picture of a naked man. This is. Uh, does anyone know who this is? David, by Michelangelo. It's. Uh, it was. It was created, sculpted in in the fifteen hundreds, and. Um, It's in Florence, in Italy, if you want to go and visit and see this for yourself. It's quite quite a huge title, this thing. It's 17 foot tall. 17 foot tall. It's quite massive. And uh, Michelangelo famously said uh, these words. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it is the task of the sculpture to discover it. I don't know if you... Came across a block of stone that was 17 foot high and seven foot wide. Whether you'd look at it and go, Oh, there's a sculpture it was inside it. But Michelangelo did, and he said that he said he saw the potential inside this massive block of stone, and he could see the masterpiece within it. Isn't that so long you can look at a picture of a naked man in there, right? Let me go. And, and it makes me think this morning about our little ones. Obviously, particularly we're thinking about Noah, but it could be for any any of our children that we've seen this morning. I wonder if we know the potential that's inside them for their future. Just like Michelangelo was able to look at a big slab of stone, I can't expect it was very pretty to look at at the beginning, but he could see the potential within. And I wonder if we can start to imagine the potential within our little ones, within Noah and within all of our children. It's hard at this stage to see the full extent of their character, their potential, their preferences, their hobbies, their ambitions, their dreams. But there is a masterpiece hidden within Noah. And I know he's cute right now, and you think, well, how can it get better, right? But, you know, there's more to be seen and more to be revealed more potential to be seen in the years ahead. And right now, you know, one year into life, it's hard to see how that might be. But there is something to be revealed in all our children. And I wonder how that masterpiece is going to be revealed. For, for Michelangelo, it was a, a chisel and a hammer to unlock and reveal the potential within that block of stone. How will the potential within Noah and within all our little ones be revealed? As a church, we've been working through a passage of the Bible called Hebrews 11. And uh, we've been working through that, and Hebrews 11 talks about what we call the hall of faith. It talks about people in the Old Testament who had faith in God. And it works through a number of characters in the Old Testament. And last week, we were looking at Abraham and Sarah. That's what Hebrews was talking about. And then we went back into Genesis and looked at the, the life of Abraham and Sarah. And we spoke about how... God talks about us at the end of our lives. How He speaks about our lives, and we spoke last week about how we all these the highs and lows in our life. But God, when He speaks about what's happened, He speaks about all the best bits in our life. And that's about how God speaks about us when it's happened. But this week we're going to be thinking about revealing the masterpiece. How God speaks about what's yet to be seen within us. Last week God was talking about how He sees what we've done already. This week we're using Hebrews 11 to think about, well, how does God look forward into our lives and start to reveal the masterpiece? And we're going to do that through a person called Gideon, through the life of Gideon. Now, I've got to say, poor Gideon doesn't get a lot of mention in Hebrews 11. It's almost like a passing moment, right? So this is what it says in in Hebrews 11, 32 don't bother turn to we're not going to Hebrews for long right it just says this how much more do I need to say he's cataloged all these different people all their amazing faith and Gideon just gets this by mention how much more do I need to say it would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon Barak Samson but he goes on a name it's like we don't even get to hear. but there's a little pointer to Gideon it would take too long the writer of the Hebrews going look I've already spent a long time talking about these other people Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Isaac and I haven't got time just to, just, to, just to point at them, but we're going to take time. We're going to go back and see, so how does God speak about Gideon, and particularly how God starts to reveal the masterpiece within Gideon before it's seen by others, even before it's seen by himself. So we're going to, have to go back to further back in the Bible, into the Book of Judges, and if you do want to read along, you can turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter six. And when you get into Judges chapter six, we are in the middle of a um, we're in the middle of a story. Through Judges, we hear about these stories and stories and stories of the people of Israel, who are having a tough time. They swings and roundabouts in, in in the book of Judges. They go from having a really tough time in the land they're living in with war and people oppressing them, and then they turn to God, and someone comes and helps them and saves them, and that's great for a period. And then they turn their back on God, and then they get more enemies, and this cycle carries on. And the bit where we join it in Judges chapter 6, the, the Israelites are being oppressed by a people called the Midianites. And, uh, you know, I don't want to... Um, Make it seem like a cartoon version of conflict. Back in those days, it was brutal, it was vicious. You know, for those of you who like your 300 or gladiator, just think back to, you know, it's a brutal time. And the Israelites are suffering under the hand of the Midianites. And this is what we read in Judges chapter 6, just verses 2 to 6 as this the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites were hiding places for themselves. So made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. These are people living in fear. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. No, no, no As soon as they've, they've cro- got some crop, they've got something to grow, something to eat, something to supply themselves, someone comes and steals it. Camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. Taken all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too nom- numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. This is where we're really into. Just get a picture of a people who have lived and lived, and lived with being oppressed, being starved, being the weaker ones, being taken over by strong armies who were just just abusing them. It's a dreadful situation. It's hard sometimes for us to translate our modern-day world back to the ancient world, but just think of some of the worst conflicts we've seen in the world. This is what's going on back in this context. And in that, a young man called Gideon is growing up. He's living in a time like that, a very young man. Imagine a, a child growing up in that environment. This is what he knows, is that our people are always being raided by these Midianites. And no matter, we get something, we grow something, we get some animal and it's stolen from us and they are in fear of their lives. And as a young man, he's growing up in this environment and being shaped by it. Children get grow, grow up and get shaped by the environment that they are, are, are raised in. And we just pick it up a few verses later when Gideon is hiding in a wine press. He's hiding where the wine gets pressed to thresh wheat in the hope that it won't get stolen from him. This is what happens in verses 12 to 18. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you. You will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. And Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. I think Gideon gets a hard time for asking God for signs and things. When you think about this young man, growing up in all he's experienced, you kind of, it's not a surprise that he's got this view. The context he's grown up in has shaped him. But within that, God is speaking a different thing. And I just want to use this little passage just to reflect on some things. The first thing I want to say is, you know, negative words have power to limit potential. When we speak negative words... It's like we bury the masterpiece. You think about Michelangelo seeing this block and wanting to reveal the sculpture within, the masterpiece, the potential. When we speak negative words, it's like we're adding cement on the top of it. We're covering it up more and more, like covering up this stone. We limit the potential. And so much so that when Gideon hears what God speaks about him, a positive word, what's his reaction? He says, how can I rescue him? I'm in the least important family, we're the weakest lot, and I'm the weakest one. Where does he get that idea from? Where does a, a young man go around saying to people, my family's not important, and I'm the weakest one in my family? We don't get to hear the words spoken over Gideon, but if you've been around people who talk like that, you know where it comes from. Someone tells them, we're not very important in our family, we're not that special, and you're the least one of us. These are the words that have been spoken over him. And the funny thing is, when those words are spoken over to him, they become the words that he speaks over himself. He grows up in this context where they're seen as the weakest Israel. The Midianites are definitely stronger, we're weak, and my tribe is the weak one, and I'm the weakest one in it. And that becomes the narrative that he tells himself such that when he hears a positive word, it's rejected. It's like, no, 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 you're wrong, because you don't know, I'm I'm the weakest one. When God says mighty hero, he looks and says, who, me? It's not the words he's used to hearing. And he wasn't being humble when he says, well, how can I rescue them? He just doesn't understand at all. This is not the story that's been told to him. He's been told he's unimportant. I am... This last year, I've had the real, it's been a real privilege and honor to, to, uh, my boss recommended that I I take on a bit of training um, that he thought would be really useful for me. And I'm really pleased he suggested. So this last year, I've done a bunch of training as a coach. So not like a tennis coach, or something, but just coaching people in there, you know, to get promotions or to overcome obstacles or difficult people they're working with. And so I've done a, a bunch of training and coaching people. And then throughout the year, I have to gain lots of hours of coaching. So I think I'm up to about 45 hours now. I need to get my 50 and then I can get myself accredited. And it's been a great journey. And I've learned a lot through it. But in that, I've had the privilege of working with people to listen to their inner narrative, to the things that they see as obstacles, a bit like Gideon. And um, I'll, I'll obscure some of the details because I don't want to break confidentiality, but I was working with someone. I was talking to them. Uh, and, and they're latter in life. And a load of things in their life are collapsing around them. And as we get time to talk and as I'm coaching them, we start to uncover the narrative that he's telling himself. And, and the main narrative for him is he mustn't make a fuss. Um, It's just that gentle soul who doesn't speak up, doesn't stand up for himself. And so in the midst of that, loads of things have gone wrong for him. He's been walked all over. And as we started to uncover that and work through that, he starts to talk to you about his childhood and about how he remembers that when he was a child, he was in school, and he went to that thing where you go to sit down in a chair and someone removes the chair behind you, and then he falls flat on his back and all the class laughs at him. And he remembers this. There's a man older in life, a little bit older than me. I suppose I'm getting older in life now, aren't I? Right? But, right, you know. And, and, um, and he remembers this childhood incident. He remembers losing his temper. And going to see the headmaster. And the headmaster telling him, you never lose your temper. And then when he went home, still frustrated with this situation, something happens at home and he, he, he speaks badly to his dad. And his dad punches him. I know. Says you never get angry at me. These words shape this man's whole life right now. I'm working with him, trying to go, okay, so maybe there's a time to speak up. It's not right to lose your temper, but maybe there's a time to stand up for yourself. And those words shape them. And I know that none of us mean to do that, but I want to say, because I think it's God's telling us, you know, negative words have the power to limit potential. Especially in our younger ones, and I, I don't speak it just for us as parents. we were all around young children. We all have the opportunity to influence them, and so I want to tear. You. you: know, someone told Gideon that he wasn't important. That's who he was told who he was. We've all made promises. You guys have made promises. The family made promises. We, as a church, have made promises. Who we will, te- who will we tell Noah who he is? Will we hold back his potential? And it's for all of us. You know, I have um, the joy, <laughs> This our bedroom is fo- facing the front of our house. Um, a lot of people seem to walk along our street towards some school run, I think. A lot of parents. And because we have our windows open, because Karen lights our bedroom at about minus two degrees, um, you get to hear all this conversation that goes on. And the parental talking that you hear is, is unbelievable. The negative talk, pain in the neck, stupid child, swearing at them and things like this, useless, clumsy, these negative words have power to shape. And, and, and it may be unnecessary to say it. The, the, the funny thing is, is I think in our generation now, I'm preaching like really obvious stuff. Like, well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you only got to go back, I don't know, 80 years, 100 years ago, parenting was meant to be cruel. Right? It was like, you know, children, don't, get, don't speak unless you're spoken to. You know, you're going to spoil them if you're too nice and too gentle to them. Right? So it's only in the modern day we've caught up with the Bible. that says we're not going to hide the masterpiece. So watch the negative words that we speak over our young ones. I know for us, especially as adults, we get frustrated. And we can, but hold them back. We don't want to limit anybody's potential. And, and the opposite is true that positive words have the power to unleash potential. Just as these negative words can can constrain and hide the masterpiece within, the positive words we speak, and especially over impressionable young children, they have immense ability to start to reveal the masterpiece, to start to call out the potential within. And this this Bible-based idea... It sounds like the power of positive thinking. I suppose in some ways it is, but it's not, it's not like airy-fairy stuff. There is scientific research behind the impact of speaking positive words. If you want to go away educated, apparently under an MRI of hearing and speaking out positive affirmations about oneself, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, anyone know what it is? Somewhere here, that's a prefrontal bit, isn't it, right? The ventromedial prefrontal cortex is seen to light up. There's a bit of the brain that gets, gets excited and ignited and energised by this. We can see the impact it makes. And so the charge on us as adults, as grown-ups, is not just to hold back the negative words that, that we might be tempted to say over a child, but to unleash the positive words, the affirmations, to say the great things about a child, to call out the potential within, about how amazing they are and how wonderful they can be and what they have in store for them. And I want to tell you, it takes more than once. It's like a constant regular thing that you have to do. We, we read it in this passage we, we saw here. It's funny. God speaks. God, like, you know, all-powerful God, the creator of the universe, able to do everything, speaks to Gideon who's had this childhood upbringing of oppression and being told he's useless and the least in them all and God speaks and says mighty hero and Gideon doesn't go oh, you know what you're right God yeah all those 15 years of being told our useless is so wrong you're so right God I've got the revel-. he doesn't God says mighty hero and Gideon says Well, if that's the case, then why is all this rubbish going on? So God's like, okay, let's go again. Go with the strength that you have. I'm sending you. And Gideon says, where's that going to work? I'm the weakest one. Okay, right. God goes again. I'll prove it. You will win. Go and do it. I'll be with you. And he's like, oh, go on and prove it, God. And don't don't go anywhere, I need you to stick with me. Can you hear, there's this like continued narrative, unpicking those years of whatever he's been brought up in. Even God is having to repeat himself and continue to reinforce. And so it's no wonder when we start speaking the positives, it's a a continual thing. These words of affirmation need repeating. Again, another one of these coaching stories, I was coaching someone else, and... um, and as I'm listening to this person talking to me about how they're not getting on in work, and they're, they're, they're always the odd one out. Everybody wants to do it one way, and they want to do it a different way, and no one's listening to them. And they're quite junior in the, in the organisation, and I'm saying to them, do you think there's a leader within you that needs to lead something? And they're like, that's not the first time I've heard that. Strangely, they were like, oh, I heard that when I used to go to church. It's another story. But the funny thing is, 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 you know, I was trying to say to them, well, maybe that there's something within you that needs to lead something. And you're in a position at the moment where it's not being heard, but there's a leader within you grappling to get out. And as I started to name that and call it out, it wasn't the first time. And it probably won't be the last time. It just needs repeating. It needs that reinforcing. It needs that being told you are more than you think you are. You're more than who people have told you you are. And so as we seek to bless our children and bless Noah, and as you guys seek to raise this young man, you're going to end up repeating yourself loads, telling them who they are and who they could be and what God has in store for them. And so the negative words that we speak limit potential and the positive words we speak unleash potential. But the really important part is that God calls out and he actually, in fact, God creates potential. God told Gideon who he was. He changed the words that have been spoken over Gideon to align with who God saw his character to be. God had a definition. He called him mighty hero, or in the old King James, mighty man of valor. He called out a different person within him. And, you know, your potential is connected to God's promises and his plan the potential within you and within our young ones that God has placed there is connected to his plan it's not just randomly like you know you've got this ability God has a purpose and a plan just like did for Gideon the reason why God calls him mighty man of valor or mighty hero is because it's connected to God's promise to save Israel and it's connected to God's plan to save them God's plan was not to see the Israelites starve to death and there'd be no Israelite line because God had given promises before that the savior of the world was going to come through them if Israel had died out because of the Midianites, then God's plan would have failed. So God's like, I've got a plan. And these people have cried out in the midst of hard times, and I've promised to save them. We missed a few verses out where God's promising to save them. So, so Gideon, the, the person that God has called Gideon to be, is connected to his promise and his plan. And the same was true for a bunch of people in the Bible. You know, we, we went through some last week. But, you know, often when God changed people's name, he was aligning who they were, the definition of who they were, to what his plan for them, their life was. You know, Abram was named Abraham. And Abram meant mighty father, but Abraham meant father of a multitude. That was aligning with what God had called him to be. Particularly Jacob, when he was called from Jacob and he changed from being Jacob to Israel. God completely changes the definition of Jacob. Jacob's born with being called Jacob, which to us we just think is Jacob. But what that meant was supplanter. That's not a word we're used to. Supplanter is basically someone who achieves their ends over someone else by deceitful mechanisms. That's what he's been called all his life. You are someone who gets what you want by cheating other people. That's what Jacob's constantly told his name is. And God changes his name to Israel. Having power with God. He changes who he is because it aligns with God's plan. And so the words of God have have life-giving definition. You know, when God spoke, let there be light, there was light. When God speaks, it has power to create. And so when God speaks potential and purpose, it has the power to create within You know, I'm sure someone else would have seen that block of wood and sculpted something else. But the sculpture, Michelangelo, created David from that block. And the God of the universe calls out who we are. He's the master sculpture. In Ephesians, we're called God's masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. He is shaping us and revealing us. In Isaiah, he talks about the potter and the clay, and that he is the potter, and we're the clay. He's shaping us and forming us. And so I want to say to you guys, I know I gave you some advice earlier. This is why it's so important for parents to pray, not only over their children, but to God and say, God, who are you calling our child to be? Because I want to speak into their life what God is saying. And help me spot it. Help me see the early signs, God, that I can reinforce it. And so it's super important. As, We don't want to just say, I mean, it's great to say lovely things, you're beautiful. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so special. Oh, what a strong boy. They're all lovely things. They're great. Keep saying those. But when you pray, that's where the importance of the prophetic word is. And you hear God is saying, I've got a purpose and a destiny. Then you can speak into it and you can remind it and call it out. I can't tell you how many words I had spoken over me as a young person that called out the potential within me and they shaped me. You know, when we speak out these things, we're, we're, we're saying, God, what is it you're saying? What is the potential that you're creating? And most of this sermon has been about us as adults, how we speak to our children, because I really felt God wanted us to hear that. We all as adults have immense potential or, or influence over these young ones at the back here, any other family members you've got, children you come into contact with, if you're in schools, the amount of children that you get the opportunity to influence. Loads. What, what, what opportunities we have you been given amazing? And I really felt God wanted to speak to us about being aware that we are we're voices, and we have the ability to constrain them and hold them back. We can shape them in really negative ways or we can unleash this potential by speaking out and especially when we hear what God is saying, we can call out the God-given potential. But I'm also aware that we're adults who have been shaped. Wherever you find yourself in life now, you've got a childhood. You've got things that have shaped you and formed you and constructed the story you tell yourself and so I just want to make sure before I finish that we think about what about us who have you been told that you are what's held you back with the words that have been spoken over you now these people that I coach would you like some free coaching right I'll give you some free coaching this would cost thousands of pounds normally I, I, I'm free coaching at the moment. Until I'm accredited, I can't charge them. So they get it for free. You can get it for free. But so, so here's a little bit of free, free coaching. Some people love this. Others are go, like, what's he on about? But for those who love this stuff, you're like, oh, wow. Right. Here's a little equation. Half the people have gone, "Well, oh, no, right? But just listen. Just bear with me, right? I'll express it as an equation, and then I'll speak it kind of what I mean. Right? Here's an equation. Performance equals potential minus interference. So the idea here is, is that within each of us, there's this potential. It's amazing person that we are. All the things that we could do and accomplish and dream and, 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 and be able to put into action. And what we see on the outside, this thing called performance, is not that. It's, it's like Michelangelo. He would say that the interference was all that clay, that he's, that stone that he's got to chisel off. Within it. There's this potential, but it's covered up by interference, stuff that gets in the way of revealing who we truly are. There's this performance on the outside that we get to see, even we get to experience. We go, well, I'm not very good at that, or I didn't do very well at that, or I'm not sure I could do that. And within, there's so much more potential, and there's this interference that gets in the way. For, for Michelangelo, that interference is this stone that he's got to chisel away. For Gideon, that interference is all these words that have been spoken over him, the context he's grown up in. We always lose, the Midianites always win. We never can hold them back. This narrative that he's telling himself. What gets in the way of revealing the potential within you? What words have been spoken over you that now become the words that you speak out over yourself because that's what we do? We hear him so much like Gideon does. He he, doesn't, he didn't come up and say, my mum says I'm the least. He says, I'm the least. They, they become his words. What fears captivate us and hold us back? You know, I want to tell you, I believe that Jesus is able to break the words that have shaped and formed us. Just like he was with Gideon, he's able to speak a better word and reshape our lives despite what we've been told who we are in our past. And he's able to transform our thinking and our perspective. And, like with Gideon, he generally has to do it lots of times. So you might sit and go, yeah, I've been a Christian a while. I'm still struggling. Well, Gideon had to hear it a number of times. And through Gideon's life, he had to hear it a number of times. So don't be surprised that it's not a one-hit wonder. But God wants to continually speak a better word over you. And so we, I'm going to wrap up in just a second. I'll ask the band to come back and they're going to, they're going to do a final song. But I want to pray before I wrap up. So I want to pray and then say a few more closing words and then we're going to sing. Because I think the most important thing right now for that breaking of kind of what's within us is a spiritual thing. It's not a preaching thing. Right? We, was, um, we were singing earlier about God's presence and I just ended up not singing. I was just praying under my mask and just, just acknowledging like, God, only you can do this stuff. Only you can. No song can, no band can, no preach can, only God can. So let me pray, and then I'll just say a few more words. And band, you can come back and get on stage, it's fine. Lord, I just want to take a moment, Lord, for each of us to come before you. Lord, you know the story we tell ourselves that was told to us. You know the words that have held us back. Lord, you know the words that we end up repeating outside. But Lord, praise God, you know the person you created us to be. And although I don't often get to see my full potential on the outside, Lord, you do. Just like you saw Gideon's. Just like you saw Israel's. Just like you saw Abraham's. Just like you saw Peter's and Paul's. Lord, you see the potential. And so, Lord, we invite you in this moment to chip away. Just like that image we saw of a sculpture that has been chipped away to reveal more and more of the masterpiece. Lord, we invite you to chip away at our life with the positive words of who you've called us to be in Christ. Have your way in our lives, Lord. And we recognise, Lord, that, this may be a lifelong journey, but Lord, we want a journey with you to reshape us. Nobody's too late. No word is too deep. No problem is too challenging for you, God. But you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, are able to transform our minds by the power of your word. Amen. We're going to sing in a second. These guys are just getting ready. I just want to say, you know, as a parent, I've not been perfect. Probably you haven't either. These have all been my intentions, but as a parent, at times I've said things I wish I hadn't. There's times that I've regretted afterwards. There's things that are meant for good, and then I look and go, oh, that's actually produced a bit of a dark side, really. That was really meant to encourage them, but that's, you know, because I'm an imperfect parent. But the great thing is, we're, we're thinking about how we apply this, but each of us as adults, we... We sit underneath the perfect parent. We're part of that family. As we're adopted into God's family, we experience the perfect Heavenly Father. And He wants to shape us with those words. This is what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. It says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He's among us. He's in your life, in your mind, in your private moments, in your doubts and your fears. He's living amongst us. He is a mighty saviour. We think about saviour and salvation as saving us from light, from hell or from judgment. But he wants to save us from our own thinking. He will take delight in you with gladness. Did you see Tim and Nina earlier? Just taking delight in their son? With all the things going on in his face and everything, right? Because it's like, that doesn't matter. This is our precious son. He takes delight over you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I love that. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I get this picture of this father holding this child, you and me in his arms, and he is singing over the child. I used to do that when the kids were young. What's fascinating, though, is I used to sing like nursery rhymes and things like that. What God is singing is his love for us and his, the, the, the potential within us and who you are, he's singing over us. And so we're going to sing a, a song together as we close the service that speaks about this. It's called the Father's Song and it's an acknowledgement that God is singing over us. And and it won't, for many of you, won't be the first time you've sung the song. It won't be the first time you think about God speaking over you. But this is our continual journey. We're going on, like with Gideon and the Lord. We're going, Lord, I want to hear the Father's song. I want to hear you speak over me. I want to hear your love. I want you to shape me, not the words that I've heard from old shape me. I want your words to shape me. And so I want to tell you, I'd like us all to stand, but you don't have to sing. You can do If that's a way of connecting with it, great. If not, you can just hear it being sung to you. But our standing is this positive action to just go, I want to be in that place of receiving the Father singing over me.